There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We all knew at some point. When you have cancer, you have this feeling of, you know, it could come back. You're very much aware of this because, yes, you go on and live your life, but the little part of the back of your mind is like, all it takes is one fucking molecule to go somewhere and that's it. And that's what happened. And so when I told my family, it was this sense of, like, I couldn't even bring myself to say it again. Like, it was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is so unfair. Life is cruel. And I just, like, wanted to give up. I was like, I didn't know if I had it in me to do it a second time. Hey, I'm Natalie Dranovac and welcome to The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. And not that all of my episodes aren't important to me, but today's is uniquely special and so perhaps the only time I'm ever going to ask something so directly. But I implore you to share it across your social media so more of your friends can hear this message. Because I got to sit down with Natalie Fornasia, the inspiration and driving force of Call Time on Melanoma, a not-for-profit initiative for Sun Smart Women and alongside founder Lisa Petorni are blowing the whistle on melanoma mythology. The conversation for me was the slap-in-the-face reality check I think most of us need to hear. Growing up in Australia to the campaigning of Slip Slop Slap, which, to be honest, I never did quite enough of, my understanding and knowledge around the health and emotional toll that having melanoma will take on you was minimal at best. Which is why I can't even imagine how I would have dealt with being told at 20 years old that I have advanced melanoma, or as Nat describes, the big dirty C word. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. But that was Nat's reality, which is why I sought to have this conversation with her. I really wanted to understand where she got her emotional strength from, how she navigated her relationships, how she dealt with not only the physical pain and changes to her body, but also the emotional strain and pain associated with it. And so with Nat's permission, we dove deep, because too often we're told of statistics, but not often enough do we really get to understand the journey of what it's like to deal with living with cancer. It's crucially important we understand these stories because as we know, everyone at some point will be affected by cancer, whether directly or through someone they know and love. Nat, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to jump into this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. But I always love to start with a rapid fire. So what's the one word you would use to describe yourself? Fiery. What, who was your first celebrity crush? John Taylor from Duran Duran. What's the one book that's had the greatest impact on you? Call Me By Your Name by Andre Ackman. Did you see the film? Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. So I know you're a Game of Thrones fan. Who do you hope to end up on the Iron Throne? Jon Snow. <laughs> what do you wish you had have been told when you turned 18? Life's going to get hard. Strap in, buckle up and get ready. And lastly, who is a female role model for you and why? Ooh. I've always loved Kira Knightley. I don't know why, but there's something about her, her grace, the way she holds herself. I've like, I think I watched the film Pride and Prejudice where she starred as Elizabeth Bennet maybe like 150 times. And for her, I'd always aspired to be her. Calm, collected, but also a badass. Okay, so there is so much I want to get through on this episode. And yep. so my listeners have a bit of an idea. I really want to take them through all the different elements of your experience, of your journey, and also just to learn a little more. So we'll go through your first diagnosis, melanoma mythology, your second diagnosis, your rule, your psyche throughout it, because I think it is just something that everyone could learn something from. Yep. Um, friendships and battling against those labels that we, you know, have been forced upon you to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, your relationship with yourself, 
Alexander. And then, of course, what we could all be doing a bit better. So Sounds good. I would love if you could talk me through that first moment when you had those 52 bruises, you're 20 years old, and you go to the doctor. Well, I was in Greece when I got those 52 bruises. So naturally, I was a bit lost and confused because I was fine. I was having the best time of my life. I was 20, doing the Australian thing, going on a top deck. Um, but in my gut, I just had that niggling, true gut feeling that like something's wrong. And I don't know, body intuition is amazing, but my intuition instantly told me it had something to do with the mole on my toe. Mm. Like immediately, I didn't think of anything else. I just like knew And so when I had to go home and it was two weeks between finding out in Greece, the bruises and then going home and being proactive and going to the doctor, it was like, I had to not like let it get in front of me because I was like, I still had two weeks of enjoying myself. Mm. And I was kind of like, oh my goodness, because I can do the whole freak out. We all freak out when something's on our skin or something's going wrong. And we're like, it could be something, it could be nothing. So I kind of like put it at the back of my mind, but I was like, okay, enjoy the last two weeks you have in Europe. First time I was in Europe. So I was like, going to have it like, you know, the best time. But then when I got home, it just became this huge fiasco, I think is a good word to call it in a way. But it also, I guess, four years ago made me who I am now. Yeah. And so what was that? I feel like the idea of those three words being told, you have cancer, yep. are fucking terrifying to anyone. No, like I can't even, like you see it happen in movies and you read about it in books, but nothing prepares you for being told at 20 years old, yeah. you could die and you haven't even lived your life. And so those first few moments for you going through that process, what was that like? I didn't cry. I remember this so distinctly. I remember being told my oncologist, um, my dad. So before we went to the oncologist, my, into the room, my dad, like she comes out into the like main area and like calls you in. And my dad, like straight away being my dad goes, okay, so like what's news? And she doesn't say anything. And I just knew then, like before she even told me, I knew because doctors like, you know, you watch so many movies too. Yeah. Right. So like, because she didn't answer straight away and she was kind of like, oh, let's just sit down. In my gut, I was like, I already had that. Like I was prepared. Like yeah. I knew straight away. I was like, I had it. And being told those words officially, I didn't cry because I was like, okay. Like I think it was like white noise. I did not hear a single word she said after those words. My dad like was upset, started crying, listened to what she had to say. I just remember staring at the desk and being like, fuck. And then we went outside. She told me everything. She said, it's, we can't like, it's too much to talk through now. Go home. We'll organize another appointment. I remember leaving the office and then I fainted and my dad caught me. It was like, I watched myself from like up above Mm. the whole thing. And then that was that I was like, and I had that moment. And I feel like everyone who's gone through something similar would agree that you have a moment where you're kind of like, this is it. Like this is your test as to whether you are 100% are going to fight or you're going to let it, you know, kill you. And I had that moment when I fainted and I was like, fuck no, like I'm 20 years old. This is not going to determine my life. It's so crazy even in how – because I, you know, for everyone, for the backstory, I actually was just going to profile you for the website and then I read your profile piece and I was – shook to my core I remember I sent it immediately to my friends to my wife I was like you have to read this it's crazy and I just like as a reader even trying to understand your story look you can hear it in my voice it was just crazy and to think at such a young age and it's that idea that we listen to these stories so often and you think oh no that's shit she's so young and all the rest of it but as I've said to you, when I meet you, you're so strong, you're so resilient. Yeah. And so I'm so excited to get further into this conversation with you. Yep. Um, 
Again, in that profile piece, you did mention about that realization that when you're younger, and it's something that resonated with me so deeply about how if something's wrong, you're like, I'll ask my dad, I'll yep. ask my mom. My parents always know. Exactly. My wife often laughs at me now because I'll ask her an ambiguous question. She's like, why do you think I know this? And I was <laughs> right. like, well, I kind of just transferred it. Exactly. Like, if it's not my parents now, it's my partner who should have all the answers. Yep. Um, but I was intrigued to know for you that transition of – and I'm sure also for your dad, like your, our parents always strive to protect us, right? Exactly. Yeah. And all of a sudden he no longer can protect his baby girl. And now you're at the hands of the doctors. Like what was that moment when you started to understand all the information? You know, when we always say, or oh, when we grow up and yeah. we never know when that is, yeah. I had to grow up. Like it was an instantaneous kind of my twenties are not my own. They belong to science. Mm. And I had to, wake up the next day and be, I don't know, embody a 60-year-old person with wisdom. Yeah. It was insane. Like I watched my 20s, apparently like the best years of your life, almost disappear in front of me. And having my parents lose themselves, like watching two pillows in your life who have constantly been there for you fall in on themselves, you kind of – your whole understanding of, you know, where to go to for advice or your whole understanding of like who nurtures who collapses because I just remember like my parents could not do anything. Like they could only give me a hug. That's all they could do. They could say, we'll always be here for you. We'll always love you. But that like to a point that only gets you so far. And that was insane. So did you actually find that you got to a point where – you were also comforting them whilst trying to support yourself? A hundred percent. And that's where this guilt comes in. I have this huge like guilt cloud, I like to call it, like that follows me everywhere because it's horrible. It's like as soon as I got told I was sick, I knew that I would affect every single person within my close radius and my close nuclear family. Mm. It was like from this day forward, everything has been changed and it's because of me. And that was, and I still can't handle that. It's been four years, X, Y, Z has happened since, and it's still something I cannot conquer. And it's hard, really hard. (laughs) There's just so much in that. Yeah. Um, When it comes to that sheer realization and also the guilt that you now carry and everything, as I was researching this, I actually did Google because I, th- I think that in any time when people are dealing with trauma, yep. there's things you don't say. And I think most of the time people also don't know what to say. Exactly. And, um, and one, of the, one of the things was around, you shouldn't always assume that everyone who has cancer also goes through an epiphany. Literally. And now <laughs> looks at life like it's a magical place. No. But I was curious to know if perhaps your outlook or your values and things had shifted or have yeah. shifted. No, they did. A hundred percent. You kind of have the wake up of being like, what requires top tier kind of freak out level and what requires, you know, put your shit together. It's nothing big. Yeah, like 100%. It's just a pimple. It, exactly, right? And it has helped me, I guess, determine where my energy goes. But then I also have a crisis being like, sometimes I feel like nothing is worth my energy because what's the fucking point? And I have that a lot. And that's a really hard thing to continuously work through. Because, for example, I'm looking for jobs at the moment and, okay, you've got to go through the whole process of writing the bloody cover letter, the resume, everything. And half of me just goes, what's the point? Yeah. And, like, I know this is what I want to do with my life, but also I'm so aware of my mortality. It's kind of like, can I be bothered? And no, sometimes I really can't. I really want to get into that uh, whole conversation around your mortality and your psyche. Yeah. But as we keep going through this, the irony in my next question is that here we are sitting down for a conversation, albeit even though it is to raise awareness. Um, But do you enjoy talking to people about your cancer? Because I think it's the idea that I might find it fascinating, right? In terms of if I'm just out in the street and we meet. But does it also become a moment where you're like, I don't want to fucking tell another single person that I have it? I think... For me, I do enjoy talking about it and I don't mean that in like a, oh my God, look at me, I'm ill, therefore everybody needs to know kind of way. I'm just, I see it as a way to change my narrative because yes, I am sick, yes, I have cancer, but it's not entirely who I am and it's not the dictator of my life. Yes, I can't calculate like, you know, 
doing things without calculating my illness into it, which is a nightmare. But it's also just kind of like, it's who I am. It's there. Don't ignore it. But it's also not all, all of me. Yeah. Yeah. What is one thing that we should never ask? Or what's the most stupid thing someone has said to you? I guess oh, the most stupid thing. To be honest, there's no such thing as a stupid thing. Like, I guess it depends on how the person who's going through something, whether it be breast cancer, prostate cancer, any type of cancer, you can gauge whether they're willing to talk about it or not. Yeah. So for me, there's absolutely no holds barred. Like, if you were to ask me how traumatic was it to have your toe amputated, I'll tell you. Like, I'm not going to hide it because yeah. that's my way of sharing this is what happened to me. You know who I trust you enough, whoever you are, to talk to about it. But also, I'm educating you in a way that you may not have been educated before. So, yeah. Yeah. And that actually leads me on call time on melanoma. Yeah. And so, as we jump into that, I've certainly learned the melanoma mythology over the last couple of weeks in researching you and looking it all up. But I was actually shocked. Like yep. I am someone, and I think this is the part of your story which just got me where you say um, you're South American and yep. Italian. Yes. And, you know, I'm Mauritius. I have tans, well, olive skin, tan skin, however you however yep. we phrase it these days. But I really grew up running around butt naked, getting yeah, tan, getting right? burnt. I was talking with friends the other day about how we used to just go to the beach, lie in the sun. And then you read the statistics that it's estimated that one person dies every five, five hours. hours like, what the fuck? And why yeah. was I never told that? Why exactly. were we never told this? This is, yeah, this is the big thing. It's like, the issue is, is I feel like part of the problem is because it's called skin cancer. Yeah. And I feel like that in itself kind of, you know, adds to the myth. Because a lot of people just think it's surface level. But it's as terrifying and as dangerous as breast cancer, as prostate cancer, as liver cancer. I also learned due to call time on melanoma that you can get melanoma in places that have never seen the sun. Legit. My toe, for example, like case in point. Yeah. I was so careful about that because I knew it was bigger than usual. And I have a friend who she has got melanoma in her neck, didn't have a mole there. Mm. We had another person uh, message us saying that, the, I think it was her father, Something was wrong inside. He had the gut feeling, but there was nothing on his skin to show that it was melanoma. And it just goes to show that you need to be educated. And I guess this is the only, this is how Lisa and I can do what we're doing is we're trying to educate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, due to yourself and Lisa, call time on melanoma. And then I had a friend who is a dermatologist and again, the wonderful world of Instagram actually. So to lead into this story, I read on Call Time of Melanoma that 80% of women don't wear sunscreen every day. Yep. My dermatologist friend then tells me, Nat, if you really want to protect your skin, make sure you're keeping out of the sun and wearing sunscreen. Yep. So then I went to the dermatologist and all of a sudden I actually had to get something cut out on the side of my face. Right. And it was just this serendipitous moment, but also then realizing like, I think people always tell you, especially living in Australia, go get your skin checked. Yep. But you're not really aware of just why. Exactly. And the danger of it. Yeah. And it's as simple as Australia doesn't have an ozone layer on top of it. That's it, right? When my boyfriend, who's German, came here, the first thing – he came in winter. The first thing he said to me on a 23-degree day was, I can feel the sun burning me. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? It's 23 degrees, we're in winter. He goes, no, I can feel it. It's different. Yeah. And I think because we've grown up in Australia, we don't notice that anymore. We just don't think about it because we've known it our whole lives. And that is what is really scary. Yeah. My wife and I were in um, Europe last year for four months. And I remember the whole time we had like 30 degree days. Yep. But I don't actually think I got burnt once. And exactly. we were really talking about the sheer difference in the Australian sun. It's and just crazy. how crazy it is when yep. you have such a different experience like that. Yep. Um, which goes into having a suntan makes me look healthy and that beauty culture oh, yeah. that we have. Yeah. Um, and I know you and I were going to really discuss the difference between in Australia, if you have a tan, you look healthy. But right. then if you go to some Asian cultures, they bleach their skin. So at exactly. the end of the day, we're doing harmful things to continue to create this perception of beauty within ourselves. Exactly. The whole perception of beauty, especially for Australia, to me, I just find so backwards. I find it prioritizes as what the beauty industry can potentially do. It prioritizes what you look like, but not your health. And that 
is a big problem and that needs to be rectified. I don't know how, but it does. Who do you think perpetuate it, perpetuates it though? To be honest, I there is so many there are so many factors to it. And it can go from Instagram influences to culture that was in the 1950s where designers decided to say going to the beach is cool. Like mm-hmm. there are so many factors as to how it came about. But I feel like the main one would that we all use is that Australia is a country surrounded by water and we're all naturally beachgoers. And I feel like that in itself has somewhat damaged our perception of health, if that makes any sense. In what sense? That we all should inherently be going to the beach, getting a tan, Exactly, because that's the Australian way of living life, right? Like what's an – what? how are you not – like – you know, you're Australian, you have a day off, it's 30 degrees, you go to the beach. Yeah, that's true. Or it's right? a hot day, we should take a sickie, exactly. we should go to the beach. It's that, it's that sense of it's embedded into our culture, it's embedded into us, but we're not educated as to what it's actually doing to our health. Yeah. yeah. There was this one um, post that uh, the Call Timer Melanoma shared and it was um, tanning is your skin cells in trauma. Yeah. And I was like, just those words make it so much more visceral and also yep. just wake you up a hundred percent and so now like i'm so cautious and i'm like my wife lisa will be like do you want to go to the beach and i'll be like i don't know no longer than an hour i don't want to get burnt like it's like and like it's it's even but it it's that but it's also just knowing what time of day to go to the beach like don't go to the burnett's peak uv craziness go earlier go later that and makes an entire difference. For those who don't know, when is peak UV craziness? Peak UV craziness would be, I think it starts at like, especially in peak summer, it'd be around like 11.30 in the morning till about like say 2.30, 3 o'clock. Because what's really interesting is if you go and read the UV index every day, it's on people's iPhones and the weather app if you scroll down. <laughs> um, a normal day is like where it's like, you know, UV isn't crazy, it would be about 3 in Australia in summer, it's constantly at 13 or 14. Wow. Yeah. And nobody realizes that that means that is the most intense it can be. It can go higher, of course, in other places, but that's insane. And that's when you need the hat, the sunscreen, the long sleeves, keeping your shoulders covered, staying hydrated, all that kinds of stuff. But even in winter in Australia, the UV index can go up to about like six or nine. Mm. That still requires you to wear SPF every day. But it's just not something everyone's aware of. Yes. Well, something I know I've already told you before is the fact that um, call time and then also that new uh, sunscreen brand, Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet, yeah. You know, I've said both respectively are making sun safety quite sexy. Yeah. And talked about, whereas I certainly grew up with slip, slop, slap. So I think in the back of my mind, I always thought should wear sunscreen. It's a chore. But it yeah. never was. It never was like, oh, it was like, oh. And then I grew up, and I was like, I'm a bit older now. It's not a big of a thing. And you just realize like the mistakes you made over the last right. 15 years when it yeah. does come to things like this. Yeah. Um. So on that note, what advice do you have for women around those simple steps? To be honest, it would be if, as all women, we all want to prevent ourselves getting older, right? That's a common theme. If we can't appeal to you in your education, I'll appeal to your vanity. SPF will stop you from aging. Yeah. That is it. It is that simple. Put it on. Skimp, done. Skimp on the other cosmetic surgeries and 100%. just slap on some SPF. That's it. That's all it is. That's the key. And yeah. it's crazy that there are women out there who will spend hundreds and thousands of dollars over their lifetime on skincare products, but they won't apply SPF. Yeah. Right? It's actually funny because I reflect back on my mom and I always look at her, even my grandmother, and I'm like, you guys have such wonderful skin and I know my mother would always actually tan with baby oil, but she right. was always like, I always protect my face. She never has it in the sun right. and all the rest of that. Yeah. Whereas I, for a while, I think was like, oh, it's just genetics. And then now yeah. I'm like, no, you did have an extra couple of steps in that approach. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to move into the second diagnosis Yep. because I feel like someone going and being told you have cancer. You're like, all right, fuck this. Yep. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to get through it done you were practically at the point almost almost and even as I read that in the piece I was like oh like my gut was lurching for you yeah what was that second moment like it was rage so I had just met my partner previously five months in Venice I was on exchange part of the reason why I went to Venice was because I felt like I needed to escape Sydney 
I have, as people who have had cancer or illnesses would know, the label of being sick, you kind of just want an out. So I took my out, went on exchange, I fell in love. And then I came home with for my routine PET scans, which had to happen every six months because I was doing really well, pushed it out to six months. I was away for seven. So when I got back, it was all set up. I went in, got it done. I went to the doctor on my own. And the first thing she said to me was like, oh, you're on your own. And I was like, fuck, like, not this is a bad again. Movie. I honestly like my gut, the intuition thing straight away. As soon as those words came out, I was like, something's popped up. I didn't know where, but when she told me that she'd found two nodules, bottom left, right lung, I was like, in my gut, I already knew that it was back. She goes, or it could be an infection or it could be this. And I was like, some part of me was like, I have been waiting for this fucking moment to come. And it came. Mm. And I was like, of course it had to come when I'd finally jumped over my hurdles of how to be myself in a relationship. When I'd finally found someone who shares the same values as me. And it was rage. It was a moment of how can life be so utterly cruel again? Yeah. And yeah. And my first instinct, as Alexander would recall, was to break up with him because I was like, the first round was harder, but the first round of cancer four years prior was meant, it just, it was contained to the lymph nodes. Okay. I have lymphedema. I suffer with a chronic illness now, but that's manageable. They got it all. Having it in an organ Mm. is an entirely different story. And so naturally my knee-jerk reaction was to be like, I've already been through it once. I know how hard it was and it wasn't even huge. Like for me now, it wasn't big. This was the whole mighty grand finale in a way. And I was like, I can't put someone that I just met and that I love deeply through something that I know will be so harrowing and you will need to draw strength from parts that you didn't even know. And I respected him so much that I was like, no, I can't do this to you. And then the guilt cloud that I'd had four years prior came back even harder because now I was like my family, they all, we all knew at some point when you have cancer, you have this feeling of, you know, it could come back. You're very much aware of this because Yes, you go on and live your life, but the little part of the back of your mind is like, all it takes is one fucking molecule to go somewhere and that's it. And that's what happened. And so when I told my family, it was this sense of, like, I couldn't even bring myself to say it again. Like, it was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is so unfair. Life is cruel. And I just like wanted to give up. I was like, I didn't know if I had it in me to do it a second time. Because going through it once is enough, right? Like, come on. It's at 20. It's the fucking worst. I know. And now at 24, when I was told, I was like, oh my God, I need to bring out those boxing gloves, but so much more. And I really thought I had reached the bottom of my like bucket of everything that I'd pulled to make me to like, to allow myself to go through the first one. And I honestly just remember thinking, I don't even know if I can do this again, but I could, which is great. Uh, I was having a conversation about you with two friends the other night and they actually were like, I just don't know how I would react because I was sharing with them yeah. just how strong and resilient you are and how when we've had conversations and the the sheer determination that shines through. And they're like, I just don't know if I wouldn't crumble and feel like right? such a victim. And yep. so, you know, they couldn't even fathom how, for them, how they would comprehend the idea of how am I dealt with this set of cards yet again. Literally. And I guess... The one thing where it's kind of like everyone says you're brave, you're resilient, you're X, Y, Z, but then you kind of just go, well, I have to. Yeah. You've got no other choice. All right. You can have the choice of where you just like let it go, like let it control you. But then if you have any ounce of respect for yourself and for life, you're like, well, those boxing gloves are coming back. You're doing it again because in my position or in anyone's position who's had cancer, you're just like, well, all right, let's go again. And I got to that point eventually and I was like, all right, I'm going to fight it and I'm going to give it my all. And this time I'm officially going to get rid of it, which is what I keep saying to the universe. <laughs> but I did. it did take me a while to get there in the sense of being like, I did feel like the victim, not going to lie. Like I freaking like, you know, lost it and was like, why is life picking me of all the fucking people on the planet? Why me? But then I woke up and was like, 
for some, it's the reality. Mm. It's the way the cookie crumbles. You can either let it manifest manifest itself in a negative way or you can use it, fight it and make it something different, which is what I've done, I hope. I think you very much have. On that note of just your psyche, your mental well-being and as everything you were going through it, I did want to ask you though, before we jump into that, how would you describe yourself outside of the cancer, outside of the diagnosis? Like, And as I said to you before we started, there's so much to you, yeah. but everyone may focus on one aspect. Right. So what are the bits that you sometimes feel get left behind? That I'm the m- biggest fan of One Direction ever. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm not kidding. Harry Styles is like the love of my life. Sorry, Alex. Um, That I'm the biggest bookworm. I love food and being surrounded by people I love. I love to draw. I'm creative. I enjoy just being, Mm. I guess. More than like anything else, I love when friends like, you know, message me and it's like, do you want to do X, Y, Z today? Whether it's a walk, going to the, gro- doing the groceries. I just love spending time with others. And I guess that's the part of me that is overshadowed by the cancer. Is that the part of you that also gets so angry about the fact that cancer could take it all away from you? Exactly. It's like a strange tug of war of like an intense kind of FOMO feeling. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Like a fear of missing out of everything. Oh, as in like yeah. on one hand could die, on the other on hand, hand my life is filled with such richness and exactly. amazing beauty. Exactly. So because I think a lot of people, we all deal with trauma and different types of trauma. You yeah. know, for some women it might be a miscarriage. Yep. For yourself it's cancer. But it's almost like no one is ever given a guidebook yep. on how to either A, deal with it or yep. B, how to help others go through it. Yeah. So for you, what did you learn through that? Because I really want to now start to ta- to touch and tap into psychologically how you have gotten through now five years of all of this. The main one would be being positive. And it t- took me a while to understand what it meant to be positive. It's not just happy affirmations and like Yeah, aspiring. it's not just like fluffy. And- it's not fluffy. No, it's some deep shit. It's learning how to restructure your mind to see an outcome. And I wasn't good the first time around, but this time I feel like I finally learned being like, the way I use language, it's not that like I can beat cancer, I will beat cancer. Mm. It's simple things like that. And psychologically it took a lot out of me the first time. And so when I said like I had no idea if I had it in me to do it a second time, It was like, I felt like Sisyphus with a rock on my back climbing up that bloody mountain, but I got there and it just took a whole kind of moment, kind of like lots of moments, but where I had to really center myself and ask myself in the truest form, what do I want from life and what am I going to do to get there? And it is a positive mindset, honest to God, like that has what put me through. People always tell me you're so positive. And I'm like, yes, because I refuse to let there be anything else. Like I'm not going to allow there to be room for negative thoughts or for negative people or anything like that. It taught me how to restructure my life. So I went through the whole purging friends phase. Mm. And that's also like a two-way street about that. But you kind of just go through like the like the utter necessities, okay? And you come, you strip them right down like to the point where there's like three or four little like rocks lining up and you pick one, mm. okay? And it's hard because you think things are important because we've been told certain things are important. But when push comes to shove, you learn that it's only one thing in life and or it might be two or however many but for me it was I wanted to be loved and at first I needed to learn how to love myself and that is still something I'm learning but that was the most important thing because yes I was being positive but was I being positive to myself I don't know on that note because I think it is such a buzzword for just women in general self-love yep what is it you do differently 
I treat myself graciously. Mm -hmm. I listen to my body. Okay, yeah, I know I've got to go to work. I've got to get up every morning. But honest to God, if I feel in in my gut that I'm like, I'm pushing myself today, fuck it, I'm going to call in sick. Like I need to put myself first. I know I need to put food on the table. I know I need to pay bills. But it's honestly about, and some people have the luxury, some people don't. Thankfully, I work in retail. It's kind of okay for now. But it's literally kind of being like, what does my body need for the day? For me, sometimes it could literally just be a day in bed. And for sometimes waking up in the morning and having a shower is all I can accomplish. And I congratulate myself for that. It's not about, you know, okay, I had a really big day. I like, you know, was up at 6.30, managed to go to bed at 9. For me, it could be I woke up at 1 p.m. after I needed the 14-hour sleep because that's what my body needed. And then I got up, had a shower, went for a walk. It's kind of like reevaluating what the priorities in my life and listening to my body because that has been the biggest thing. It's listening to what I need and when I need it. And I feel like in the hush and the rush that is society today, we don't do that enough. We always go, oh, we'll leave it till later. Oh, I'll make sure I make a night for relaxing at home one night this week. But that never ends up happening because you're so busy. Do you find that you're surrounded by a lot of people who are taking their health for granted? Yeah, 100%. And it's Does it make you crazy? Oh, it makes me so crazy. Like my best friend... She is amazing. I love you, Sasha. But she she knows she's so busy constantly, constantly, constantly. And she's always on the run, which I love. But I'm always, and she'll know this, I'm always like, so when are you going to be home and relax and have a me day? Mm. And she's like, Soon. It's like the idea of doing that is this indulgence, selfish thing that right? if you're doing it, why, et cetera. And like, and why like, do we feel horrible when friends... We make plans with friends and then one friend goes, no, I just need to stay home. And then we all bitch about said friend because she didn't want to come. Is that what happens at your lunches? Well, not that, but just <laughs> in general. Like, it's true. Like, if someone says, I'm going to prioritize staying home, I just want to watch Netflix, we automatically think, oh, they don't want to come because, I don't know, they're mad at me or something happened. When in truth, they're putting themselves first. And I think as friends, we need to acknowledge that that is part of friendship too. Mm. It's listening to them when they're listening to themselves. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, earlier when we first began, you started talking about your awareness of your own mortality. Yeah. And it's funny because I find that a lot of times if you read stories, someone, you know, a lot of the like, stories that circulate the interwebs of um, found out I had cancer, so I went traveling and I ticked yeah. off my bucket list and all the rest of that. So yeah. do you also find that there's a balance between actually I, I do need to get things done perhaps faster, but at yeah. the same time I need to live a day-to-day life? Exactly. And that comes into like with having children, like that's a big one. Yeah. I, I, well, when you were talking yeah. about the, um, they said they might actually have to take out your ovaries just as you're about to go into an operation. Yeah. So that's kind of, that kind of touches on what you're saying because it's like, I know what I want for the future, mm. but also I want to live my life now. And it was very hard to be told at, I think I was 21 this time when they found something in my ovaries, which was just a cyst, but before that we didn't know. And I remember having to think, whip out my like magic eight ball and look at a hologram of my life that I hadn't lived yet. And I remember thinking, how does one do that? Because I want to live in the present, but my health is not allowing me to do that. And I have to look beyond. And that's something that is both a good thing and a bad thing because constantly I'm thinking I don't want to miss out on a life with Alexander but if you're constantly looking to the future you're forgetting to live in the now mm-hmm. and I'm still learning with that it's hard I used to say if a lot with Alexander if we get married if we have children the poor bloke was like for fuck's sake Natalie just relax give me a chance to be here <laughs> exactly right but I'm trying not to say if too much Because I'm thinking if I do die, which we all will at one point, but if I happen to go before that comes for old age, I want to go knowing that I lived my life as if I didn't have cancer, as if I didn't have the worries that I do have, that I enjoyed myself to the point where I can look back and go, that was good. And that's something that 
is a can be considered a burden or it could not but yeah it's it's difficult yeah yeah what's so funny about it what's not funny but what's so ironic about it all is this idea that you live with an illness that reminds you of your mortality yeah and most of us live in this world where we believe we're entitled to all of these years right and at the end of the day like we should all be doing our best to live with a bit more gusto a bit more yep. energy a bit more optimism enthusiasm yep. positivity and it's like this is something that just slaps you in the face and makes you have it every day i know but yet i'm sure you see other people around you where you're like wow you're fucking taking your life for granted yes 100% and I don't like, I don't, it's not up to me to call those people out. Like as much as I would love to and be like, yo, wake up, mm. what, look at what you're doing. But I guess it's also just if the person is willing to like step outside of their life and look in, that's when you're able to see whether, you know, if they're capable of, you know, is my life, am I living in the now or am I literally just taking everything for granted and not enjoying myself to my fullest capability. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and with your friendships. Yeah. Fun part. <laughs> the fun part. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really interesting aspect. It is, honestly. Um, because the idea of the, well, not the idea, but your relationships falling apart and those who just don't know how to be around you. And yeah. I would love if you could share a bit more of that um, yeah. from the first and second time. The first time, I was actually thinking about this the other night and I was like, I know I had my friends, but I don't feel some relationships that are as strong as they are now were as strong as the first time because I feel like it took, it was a wake up call for everyone, especially for the ones who stuck around for the second one. But friendships and cancer, they don't mix. And I, that sounds horrible, but it's true because Yes, you'll have the friends who you know are like, like you feel like you're blood related and you know they won't go anywhere. But the real test is the ones that you think that you prioritize in your life and you're like, yep, I'm going to keep you in my life because I know you're special. But when shit hits the fan, that kind of reciprocal two-way street doesn't exist. So is it friendships and cancer or is it friendships and adversity? Well, maybe a bit of both. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it was so, it's still very strange for me to navigate because people know my story yet they won't acknowledge it or they know my story and they don't acknowledge it in the sense that that won't let me do certain things. So for example, if I want to meet someone in the street and they weren't like, and they didn't ask me or oh, how's treatment right? Okay. They don't ask me how treatment is. They're probably too scared because they don't want to bring it up. Anyone listening to this, please bring it up. I don't care. <laughs> but then you have friends who I think forget that I've gone through X, Y, Z, that my capability is not at a level at theirs. And so when I say, no, I can't go on a trip to Bali or I can't go and do this, they forget because they're not acknowledging what I've been through. Oh, right. So as in, yeah. they're like, she can't come, but they're also not connecting it to she can't come because exactly. she has cancer and XYZ treatments and all the rest of exactly. it. Exactly. Right. So it's just a bit of um, insensitivity. In a way. And it's unintentional. Yeah. Like, uh, like even my closest friends, sometimes it, it's the second thought that they don't really think about. But yeah, like if I say, if I have an infusion, which I have to get every two weeks... And there's something on that night and it's kind of like, oh, come on, Natalie, like you can come. And I'm like, no, yeah, I well, really can't. It was funny. Like, I mean, we've only been friends now for a few months. Yeah. And I, like I said to you, I don't ever look at you and think of you're a sick person exactly. or anything like that. But yeah. I do remember there was one time I was meant to call you on a Friday, but I knew you would have had treatment. So I was like, I'll just call on Monday. She'll probably feel better then. Yeah. But it just becomes a bit of a small awareness. Exactly. And it's kind of like. I don't also, I was talking about this with my boyfriend. It was like, I feel like sometimes I become a second thought. And this is something I've realized moving in, having cancer the second time. It's like people won't talk to me because they'll assume something first, right? So like they'll assume, okay, Natalie has treatment on the Tuesday. Therefore, we won't ask her to come out on the Saturday because we know that she won't feel good. Oh, right. But yeah. it's not necessarily meaning like I could be fine the next day. Yeah. So why don't you ask me to come? Yeah. 
Do you know, like it's, this is, has nothing of the severity, but it's the same idea as like when you have friends who are fussy eaters. Right. And like, okay, the only, the, the story that popped up for me that again, it's, I'm not comparing it in the slightest, yeah. but I feel like a, I would say a 10 month period stopped drinking. Yeah. And I started to notice that my friends wouldn't invite me out if they right. were going drinking and I okay. would be like. I can still go out with exactly. you. Let me make the decision for myself. Exactly. They are making the decisions for me as yeah. to whether I wish to be included or not. Yeah, which is a wonderful universal lesson about friendships in general. Exactly. And I think that too often we take someone's power away from them as opposed to… Exactly. We yeah. are creating their own narrative for them rather than letting them tell us. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which goes into identity. Yeah. And the idea that you're now the sick friend, the girl with cancer, yep. and all those labels that everyone else is thrusting upon you. Yes. And how, I mean, what's been your experience through that? But then I would also love to know perhaps better suggestions because I don't think it has to just be cancer no. for someone to be boxed by friendships or by others. Yeah. I think my identity took a hit, <laughs> several hits. But I guess it's kind of like, I'm more than just what happened to me. And I think a lot of people need to know that, whether it's because if it were to happen to your mum, right, your mum is still your mum. She will always be that person. Just because she got sick doesn't mean that what you have come to know her all before has disappeared, right? And I think it's a lesson that a lot of people need to learn or be, or be aware of because constantly... I would be referred to as the sick girl, right, in passing or as like, oh, my friend who has cancer. I'll have friends who talk to me and go, oh, I was talking about you to X, Y, Z. And you're like, oh, yeah, the one who has cancer, right? Like unintentionally just comes out. And it's like you're giving me a label, which I understand everybody in the universe, we label, we stereotype. It's in our DNA. But it's not harmful. Like I don't take offense to it because it is what it is, but it's also kind of like you're pre presuming who I am without even meeting me or talking to me or finding out what my priorities and values in life are. You can't make a first impression. Exactly. Cause my first impression has already been made and that's really difficult, especially like when I was saying I'm looking for jobs, I'm terrified. Like I want to be a features editor. I want to write, but if you Google me, what comes up is my life story. And I feel like that, and I was talking about this to Alexander. I'm like, I'm so torn between wanting to do what I'm doing, but then not succeeding in my life with what I want because people are putting me in this corner going, she's sick, she's not going to be able to work full time. She's a liability. Exactly. And I fucking hate that word. But it's true because people do see me like that. And I don't know how to change that. I guess it's like, I guess it's like all of Australia or whatever just needs like a wake up call and being like, you know, like we, we talk about inclusivity, we talk about diversity, but are we really practicing what we preach? That's such a fair point to think about. Yeah. Um, going on the, you have the, you have cancer and you have the problem, et cetera. I know we were talking about the idea that you have to balance also with your friendships around, you have the biggest problem. Yeah. So everyone else's doesn't matter where, what yeah. you always want to shake people up is we all have issues and yeah. yours is as relevant as mine. Exactly. Because I think that this happens in many friendships Yeah. and this has nothing to do with an illness. Like in no. so often people be like, this is going on in my life. Yeah. And then, you know, your other friend won't want to say that. So yeah. how do you feel we can create that space better with our friendships with other women and people in our lives. I was actually watching Sex in the City last night and Miranda was getting married and it was the day that Samantha found out she had breast cancer. And Samantha was like, perfect example. Right? I literally watched it last night. And Samantha was like, I don't want to ruin your day. But Miranda, she sat there and she was like, no, you tell me. I have everything that I need. I have my friends. I respect you. Okay, I'm getting married today, but I'm also able to to put that in one part of my brain and focus on you. Yeah. And I just remember thinking last night being like, fuck, like why can't we all just watch this episode and you everyone should make it into know? like a 30-second little gif and just Literally. send it to people and be like, I promise I still give a shit. Yeah. yeah. And it's not about like ranking problems in terms of, okay, my parents are getting divorced. Oh, I broke up with my boyfriend. They're both relative. It's your life. You have every right to be upset 
every right to want to talk about it, every right to cry. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't share it because I may seem like I've got the bigger problem because I'm sick and I could die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really glad we touched on that because like I said, I, I think that the more people realize that no matter what's going on in your life, it's the biggest problem in your life. Exactly, my life. So everyone yeah. should always be warranted and feel that if there is something they need to speak about, then they should have the space that they can do 100%. so. 100%. All my friends, they always do this. They're always just like, oh, like, like I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Or no, like I know you've got X, Y, Z going on. And I'm like, you don't even need to phrase that. You don't even need to say those words to me. Because, yeah, I know what's going on. My life has a lot of crap in it at the moment. But that doesn't mean I'm not able to give you advice or be that shoulder that you need to lean on. I'm still the same person and I still want to hear about it because you're my friend. Mm. Yeah. So the caveat before I asked my next question was that um, a lot of the women I speak to and, of course, body image and body positivity comes up because yep. I find women talk about it a lot more than men. Yes. And I did ask you, would you be comfortable to talk oh, yeah. about your own relationship with your body now because yeah. what's changed and how I guess you could share that so people get a bit of a firmer picture of it. Yeah. So when I was diagnosed in 2014, I was – I look at myself now and I'm like, I wish I really enjoyed my body then because – That's what everyone says oh though, isn't God. it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. But like now I have lymphedema. And for those who don't know what lymphedema is, it's – where pretty much you have lymph nodes all over your body. If you take out lymph nodes in certain parts of your body, for me, it was my groin. It means that I have, my body can't function in the way that everybody else's does. I took out the lymph nodes in my groin because that's where the cancer was, meaning there is a big hole and the lymphatic system is what pushes out around all the fluid. Pretty much because there's a hole means all the fluid just goes straight into that hole. It doesn't pump around anywhere else. And so because of that, I have lymphedema, which means my leg is literally double the size of my normal one. That was really fucking hard to get used to and I still can't handle it. Was that more confronting than your toe being yeah, amputated? a 100%. Like if my toe was amputated and that was it, I could still wear shoes. Mm. I am limited to wearing about like three pairs of shoes. That's all that I can wear. And it's something that I try really hard not to let get me down shoe shopping is an effing nightmare um because I then put it into perspective being like I'm alive okay like the, sh the okay like I have a leg that I really don't like and I constantly talk about wanting to chop it off but I need to put into perspective for myself it allowed me to live mm -hmm. okay so like this whole acceptance with my leg I think will be an ongoing thing for the rest of my life because I see it Every day, every day I have to put a compression stocking on it. Every day I see the scars of what happened to me. And every day I'm reminded of being like, I can't just forget about it. You know, like I can't just put it in the back of my mind. I can't not choose to look at it. It's part of me. It's my bloody body. And it dictated for me whether like that journey, it like pushed me to learn what love meant for myself and rather confrontingly. Because I like had to appreciate my body is doing what it's doing now. It's fighting cancer. It's amazing. I'm gonna, I've got to preach that my body is doing well. But I also don't love my body because I have this swollen leg that I can't wear shorts, that I don't wear skirts, I don't wear certain shoes. I will never have it on display. It stops me from enjoying summer. Mm. Like there's, it's huge. And some days are better than others. Some days I wake up. And I put on my wide leg pants and I don't even think about it anymore because I can't see it. But for me, my relationship with body image is very unusual to I feel like everybody else's. Because yes, I was that person who used to care about being fat or I used to care about not being what I was represented as or like in the media. Now it's kind of like, how do I love my body when it's been tarnished by other hands? but it's still my own mm. and I have to live with it. And every day it's a struggle. Yeah. Every day I see women in skirts and beautiful shoes and it breaks my heart because I love fashion and I can't even participate in that fashion. And then it brings up the whole other conversation of like inclusivity 
and all that stuff because if you say the word lymphedema in the fashion world, people would look at you and be like, what the fuck is that? It's non-existent, right? And so, yes, it's also something like I don't see people in the spotlight that have it, right? It's exactly how people feel like with racial presentation and all that kind of stuff. It's like I am not – I feel like I'm not visible and people don't think about it. But for me, it's like it's what dictates my mood in the morning, right? Like whether I want to wear these pairs of shoes. It's crazy because like I can wake up one day and my leg can have a really bad night where it's just so hot and my leg just swells more. And then I want, I'm like set on what my outfit is tomorrow because I'm like, I like to pre-plan <laughs> and I want to wear this. But then I wake up the next day and my leg doesn't cooperate. I physically cannot get my foot into the shoe that I wanted. Yeah. It's just such a... And I think, again, it goes back to everyone has their own issues yeah. and thoughts about themselves. But you do have to take moments where you have to actually stop. And this is why I really want to talk about it because I feel like with women, and I've gone through my own experiences yeah. of self-love and yeah. body image and all the rest of that, but you get to a point and I had a, my, a guest on, Jess Vandelay, and she goes, you know, you keep on being told to change, you keep on being told to change. And she's like, change into what? You know, a fucking yeah. butterfly? Right. And the question and the reason I wanted to bring it up with you was like, for people to actually stop and embrace what they have and realize it's not changing. No. And it's not the idea that, again, your story is worse, so therefore exactly. you should love your body, but it's the idea of like, what are you fighting? Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And as we dive into your relationship with Alexander, because you, again, forthcomingly said you were more than happy yeah. to have that conversation about, um, as you as you, as you phrased it, having sex when you have a disability is a different terrain to navigate. Oh, yeah. So could you share a bit more about that just for perspective for other women? Well, as women, we all are terrified of getting naked in front of someone else. Yeah, I have friends who will not have sex without the lights being off. Exactly, all those kinds of things. And that's common, like universal feeling with women and men, all there. But for me, it was this sense of I am abnormal. I know I'm different. It's not because I think I am and I think that my body's a bit bigger, like rounder hips, whatever. Yeah, it's It's, not just a bad day. No, it's physical. It is very easy to see. And when Alexander and I got to that point, it was a whole kind of like, I was terrified. Were you terrified of his judgment or were you terrified that, because I know you said that previously other boyfriends that you would be, they, they left you. Yeah, both. And it's just like, I don't know if it's men or if it's just the fact that as soon as someone says the word cancer, they run away in the other direction. And so when Alexander knew everything and he didn't run away and he was there and he was like, I'm ready when you are. I just remember thinking, oh my God, but you say this, but you haven't seen me in my purest form yet. Mm. And when he did, he honestly, he looked at me like I was normal. And oh my God, I wish... Everybody in the world gets to experience that feeling because being looked at as if you're just who you are and how you know you are, that's what helps you also learn to love yourself more. And I contribute me learning every day to Alexander's love because if it, I'm going to start crying, if it wasn't for him and how he embraced me and my truth. I don't think I would have been able to sit here a year on from being told that I have cancer and have this chat with you. Yeah. And it's amazing because it's not just, I know we say we have problems with body image and we're so scared of opening up to others, but if we can almost look past that and you allow someone into your life and see you in your purest form, you become a unit. You'd know. Yeah. Lisa, right? Very much. And so you'd have that kind of bond where you're just like, I don't need to shelter myself from you. You can see everything and you've accepted it. And that just goes to show that body image is huge and it's massive and it's a big problem for young women. But if you find the right people or you find a way how to navigate through it, you can come, you can pass it almost. Do you think you see yourself how he sees you yet? Almost. I try. Some days, yes. Yeah. Some days, no. But he is constantly like, I talk about my leg all the time and he's just constantly like, I don't see it that way. Yeah. 
he's like, I don't see it like that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, no, because I see you as you. I see you for who you are. I don't see you 100% based on your physical appearance. He goes, yeah, I know you've got that going on, but you're so much more. And that's something else that he tells me that I'm so much more. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great message to really remind everyone that – and I think uh, there's a uh, – she's an actress and I'll botch her name if I try to say it, but she does the I Weigh campaign and it's about recognizing the other elements that make us into who we are. Exactly. And our real value yep. outside of if your eyes were closed, who would you be? Exactly. Yeah. And just knowing that I am more than what I physically look like, it's kind of like you feel free. And I feel free with Alex. And that's just something that I am both eternally grateful for. And I just, yeah, like I just, I love him so much. <laughs> it's funny. I think a lot of women will be listening to this being like, I hope I meet someone who loves well, me Well, I much. wish that everyone who, everyone who listens to this does because there is someone out there for everybody. That is my belief. And it can take you a while to get there or it could be someone in your past. But when you do find someone and he is, he or she is the one, Hmm. honestly, the amount of thoughts that fall away, the previous preconceived ideas of what a relationship should be or what bodies should look like, honest to God, you don't think about it anymore. Yeah, you start to form what it can be for you. Exactly. So moving towards the end, I mean, what can we do better? Because I find health information is right. Yep. Dr. Google is on the rise. Yes. Um, and it's obviously having negative consequences also because some people are believing things that just aren't true yep. and therefore they're not taking care of themselves in line with perhaps best medical practice. Right. And one example I really do want to share, and I don't want any haters to send me any messages about this. I'm sharing the fact. Someone like Pete Evans, who has said that sunscreens contain a lot of dangerous chemicals that can yep. lead to cancer. Yeah. Now, the problem is you have a celebrity icon. He's spouting health information or medical information. Yeah. And people start to respect, believe in him, and then they start to not take care of themselves. So like hitting the nail on the head, I would just love you to share the three top things you would hope people take away from this conversation in regards to their self-care and sun safety. Number one would be listen to your gut. If you feel like something is off, do everything in your power to find out what that is. And if you get a blood test back, a result, a scan back, whether it is nothing, like you've gone, you've done it and it's fine, leave it at that. Don't niggle. You've done what you've had to do. You've listened to yourself. My second one would be wear SPF every bloody day. (laughs) And SPF that is not in your foundation. That is another thing I've And not in your moisturizer. Yes. Like actual SPF on its own, whether it's physical, chemical, doesn't matter. Put it on your face, put it on your shoulders. Um, It's as simple as that. (laughs) And my third would be get enough sleep. Honestly, completely random. But I don't think we value, and this is something that I've learned with this second round of cancer, is just how much sleep impacts everything else. And recovery. And and recovery. It's get it It, like sleep is so important and I think we take for granted that we're able to have sleep and we're always like oh we always say I'll sleep when I'm dead sleep now (laughs) sleep is good sleep helps your body and that ties into number one by listening to your body we all need that time where our body needs to relax recover xyz and so yeah just get a good sleep. <laughs> I love those. Ignorance is not bliss. Listen. Exactly. All right. So before I ask my final question, where can everyone find you? At Instagram, at Call Time Melanoma. Yes. Or me, Natalie Fornasia. That's I'll, it. I'll put those both <laughs> up. And so my last question, you're standing in front of a room of 10,000 women. Yep. What is one piece of advice that you would share? Believe in yourself. You have the capability to do whatever it is you set your mind to. You will get, you know, you'll have to jump over hurdles. Nothing is ever easy. But know in your gut that if you can do it and you set your mind to it, that you will achieve it. Because the universe is a wonderful place and life is precious. So strive, strive, strive because you can do it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Modern Women. You can listen to all of our episodes over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. 
If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button now so you don't miss any episodes that come out each week. If you enjoyed this podcast or you took something away from it, taking two minutes to leave a five-star review or post a story review on Instagram and tag me in it so that we can continue to share these incredible stories with more women who need to hear this message. Original music by Chunky Love and produced by Podpaste. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.